first reading tonight comes from Ezekiel chapter 39. Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tabal. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety in the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in Israel. It is coming, it will surely take place, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is the day I have spoken of. The second Bible readings from Revelation chapter 19, found on page 1228 of the Church Bibles. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has con condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up for ever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet and worshipped him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury on the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his heart, on his thigh, he has his this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the best was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Last year, as I finished up uh, working at a particular workplace, I had a chance to reflect on what it was like to be someone trying to share the gospel in this place. And as I reflected, I, I realised one of the things that really stood out to me was how hard it was, how much opposition there was, or just plain don't care about what who Jesus is or what he did. And as I looked at the people that I was trying to share the gospel with, it, it struck me that for many of them, they were quite wealthy. Uh, they were, after all, at a private school. But they were on the edge of the Hills District, that affluent area of Sydney that just seems to earn more and more money. And further to that, they seem to have this almost eternal optimism, you might say, that no matter what happened in life, they were still going to succeed. They were still going to be successful. It wasn't a problem for them. As I looked at them, you could almost imagine thinking, why do they need the gospel? Why do they need Jesus? Life seems set, it's going to work out, it'll all be okay. No worries. I concluded in my time that at one level here we were trying to sell a gospel of servanthood to a people of great affluence. We're trying to ask them to give up affluence and become servants, as if they would want to. Yet I don't know whether it came forward to you, but as we read Revelation, what we see is a real sense that there's a great danger coming as well as a great hope, a great future that the Christian is looking forward to. Over the next three weeks, in fact, we're going to explore the book of Revelation, but I've decided to try and do it with a resurrection theme. So firstly, doing Revelation, no one does that, do they? So maybe I'm a bit crazy, but secondly... How does the resurrection fit into Revelation? Well, hopefully that'll make sense as we go along. Um, but we're going to do resurrection victory, resurrection life, and then resurrection hope. So let's begin with resurrection victory. But first, I want to paint a picture of the coming destruction. I want you to just understand what's actually going to happen. And in fact, we're going to go back into chapter 18 in a moment that'll actually make it really clear, the judgment that's going to come. Now, I started by talking about the Hills District, but even if you were to look at the city around us, let's say the city of Sydney, what do you see? I don't know about you, but I see great wealth. 
Yeah, we complain about not having enough, but our city is really, really wealthy. Uh, Our asset growth far outstrips the rest of our country. I was amazed recently, my uh, grandparents owned a block of, uh, well, four and a half acres out in Young, country New South Wales, uh, that we had to sell because my grandmother's now in a nursing home. Uh, This four and a half acres sold for nearly $300,000. 30 years ago, when they bought that, they'd sold a small block of land in Sydney in a place called Como. That small block of land had bought this house and four and a half acres. $300,000 now would not buy that small block of land, which is probably getting up towards a million dollars. Notice how fast Sydney real estate, for example, has grown. Here we live in this city, and you know what? I reckon there's people around us, that, uh, around the, the state, around the country, around the world, that look to Sydney and wish, I just wish what they, we had what they have. Wish we had the power, uh, the wealth and everything else. And people talked about the city of Rome in the same way. Now John, in writing Revelation, uses a code word for Rome. He uses the word Babylon. So let's go and have a look and see what's going to happen to Babylon. Chapter 18, verse 1. And just to let you know, Revelation is this imagery that's happening. It's it's another world in a sense. But we're getting a vision into it. And John's got the vision. He says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great! She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. This great nation, this great, mighty, powerful nation is about to fall, in fact fallen here in Revelation. It's a terrible thing for the people around, but what about those who are Christians in this city? Well, in fact, we get another voice in verse 4 from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. God's people are called out. They must exit the city because judgment comes swiftly. Verse 8, Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Or down in verse 10, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. It's very quick. Even in verse 16, that the same thing gets brought up, but even more so, the people watching around cannot believe it. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Could you imagine that happening? 
Imagine that happening to our city of Sydney, that great wealthy city. I'm always amazed at the wealth of some. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was telling me about something that happened a number of years ago where he and a number of other wealthy businessmen went overseas for something or other, some sort of meeting, and the last night they were there, they decided, look, let's just ignore the budget for tonight and just have a great night. Let's just enjoy ourselves. Let's let go. Let's have just the best night ever. And so they did. I don't know what they did. I'm glad I don't know. I don't actually want to know. But the next morning, they all came out of their hotel, or whatever place they were staying, and went to go and pay their bills. And each of them looked and went, oh no, Blown. my limit doesn't cover this, my budget doesn't, oh no, like the cost was starting to wear up until one after them, after the other, they each said that until one came in and said, it's all right, I'll cover it all. Now these were wealthy people and yet one had more. And you almost got the sense, as my friend told me the story, that each of them were looking at that one and just going, oh, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had that much. It just led to them wanting more and more and more, so much so that it becomes obscene. Is that the problem in our city? That we've actually lost a sense of how wealthy we actually are that we've lost this sense of how blessed we are. Oh, yeah, I know. We live on the other side of the river, don't we? Here's the river. It's not as wealthy. On the... Don't fool yourselves. I'm amazed to look that even in North Richmond, of all places, blocks of land are now selling for $450,000, $500,000. That's half a million dollars for a little bit of land in North Richmond. What's going on? I now live in North Richmond, what can I say? But Babylon is going to fall. Rome fell. City, Sydney will fall. Every great city that rises up will fall as God comes down as judge. That's the negative though. Is there anything positive? What are we looking forward to? Uh, the, the, friends, the people I was talking about, those affluent people... They don't see the destruction coming, but they also don't see the greatness coming, the glory that will be revealed. Let's pick it up in verse uh, chapter 19 now, verse 1. After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. I almost feel like shouting. You know what, as I kept reading through this passage, it just comes out again and again, shout, shout, shout. They're just shouting the whole time. We use shouting just to get your attention. But this is like it's so glorious, you've just got to pay attention. So what do they shout? Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, 
who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. What a glorious scene that's just been painted before us. They are glorying in the judgment that has come. That justice has finally been served. God's people who've been killed for their faith are justified. And it is shown that that was worth it for them. But then the scene is going to move. It's going to move on to a wedding scene. Let me tell you about a wedding that I was invited to once. I heard about the bride who prepared for this wedding. She planned to a high standard. The photos, well, they were going to be taken. Sorry, I know some of you went to a wedding yesterday, but I hope it wasn't like this. The photo was going to, were going to be taken by an award-winning photographer. The reception was going to be held at a restaurant on Sydney Harbour. She had the dress that she wanted. She expected her bridesmaids to be at her beck and call. She kept them up until two o'clock in the morning, just describing to them all the things they had to do the next day and what she expected from them. The standards were very high, but then I found out that even more than that, uh, she had planned everything to the nth degree, so much so that they went and had lessons in dancing. But the lessons in dancing were teaching them how to do certain moves so that when it came to them doing this dance, everybody in the audience would go, ooh, ah, and be amazed at the moves that they made. It was even more incredible. I was at the reception. People did. They went, oh, wow. It's just some dance moves. It wasn't that fantastic. But they did. For a lot of people, they didn't see that it was all about show. It was all about her, all about her being so impressive, being the centre of attention. Some saw through the facade, but not all. Not so, though, with the wedding banquet that's going to come that we're looking at here in Revelation. It's not about a facade, it's fully earned. It's glorious, it's the way it's meant to be. Let's have a look at it. Verse 5, then a voice came from the throne. That's an image of a throne back in chapters 4 and 5 where no one was worthy to sit on it. And the voice says, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting again, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. There's this great ceremony that's coming. It's not about the bride, it's actually about the lamb. Who's the lamb? Well, of course, it's Jesus. And so in verse 9, the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Then he added, these are the true words of God. This is the wedding you want to get the invitation to. 
Who cares about something on Sydney Harbour? Nothing. What a waste. What a waste of money, really. But this wedding, this is the one you want to be at. It's the one with the Lamb who is ready. John here, I get this image a little bit as I look at the next little bit of Peter. You remember Peter on the side of the mountain? Down comes Elijah and Moses and appears with Jesus. And Peter thinks to himself, you've got to do something. I know, let's build some tents. Well, here we almost get the same sort of thing happening with John. John is so overwhelmed by what's happening in front of him that all he can do is, well, he falls down and starts worshipping the angel that's bringing him this massive vision. And the angel says, do not do it. John should have known that. He was actually told it earlier. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. It's all about God. It's all about the Lamb. It's all about Jesus. And then it goes on. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I don't hear it so much today, but at least 20 years ago, I remember sitting in a meeting once uh, with some people where one of the guys had had this vision and his prophecy was all about something that he was going to do. He was going to build a room that people could come and visit and things like that. And he claimed it as a vision from God. At the time, I was sitting there thinking, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. You can sort of just work it out by thinking about it. Maybe I'm a bit cynical. But then there were people who were talking about prophecy all the time. Now, prophecy in the Old Testament was God's message revealing the reality and pointing to Jesus. In the New Testament, the message is so clear. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Prophecy is God's message looking back to Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about the lamb. It's all about what he's done. Don't miss the main game and get distracted with something else. Other distractions, when we come to looking at heaven, over the last few years, there's been a number of books released where people have claimed to have had heavenly experiences. Now, I can't deny their experiences, but my very light reading of these books just left me a little bit unsatisfied, really. Disappointed, you might say. See, these books, whilst claiming to give hope to Christians, I think they actually fall far short of the reality. The hope's here. It's already here. We've got it in the Bible. The assurance is the hope given in Jesus and blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's going to be the best. Far better than anything we can imagine. It's all about Jesus. Anything else distracts us from the truth. So we need to have this right image in our minds. But then John, in Revelation, he, he goes on to another image. He moves on, it seems, to a rider and his horse. On a white horse even. Let's have a look and see what goes on. Verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open. and There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. 
and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Some of you may have heard of it or seen a thing called Handel's Messiah, which is this, this majestic choir. If you ever have a chance to go and watch it in town hall, wow, it's incredible. Because at this point, it, it, it tries to bring to life this passage and you get this whole massive choir of, I don't know, hundreds of people start to suddenly sing, King of Kings and Lord of... It's just incredible to sit there. And you know what? It's only a taste of the reality. So much more in this passage. Here is this rider on a horse, a white horse, who's faithful and true. He judges injustice. Just what we need. His eyes like blazing fire. There's all this imagery that's actually coming out of earlier of, uh, of Revelation and his head uh, is something like many crowns. He's a name that no one knows. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. The dipped in blood, it's like he's got this red robe on, but if you look a little bit later, you see that the armies riding on white horses dressed in fine linen, white and clean. The blood surely brings up for us the imagery of Jesus on the cross shedding his blood for us. He's dipped in blood. The armies are white. They have Jesus' righteousness on them. Jesus has their sin on him. The imagery is just amazing, isn't it? And his name there, it says, is the word of God. Surely it links us back to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is that word. And then that writing, King of kings, Lord of lords. They're getting ready for this great battle. The king is ready. He's leading the charge. And just to give us a little bit of a sidelight, verses 17 and 18, the angel standing in, he looks and sees birds, vultures, animals that we don't like, but actually are really helpful out in the desert. Because what do vultures do? They come and clean up the mess. And these vultures are ready to clean up the mess of humanity. And then, verse 19, the battle. I see the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf, 
with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. It's a bit of an anticlimax, really. Here they are, ready for this great battle, and then it's just over like that. Bit of few that the leader's thrown into a lake of fire, the rest just killed by the sword that comes out of the mouth of the rider. The army doesn't even seem to do anything. But that's the point. You see, the victory's already been won. Jesus' death, his resurrection, he's already achieved it. So when he goes into battle, it's just like a mopping up operation. That's all the birds need to do is to mop up the mess that's left behind. Jesus has already had that victory. And so we actually don't need to look at the battle, which would normally be the climax. We actually need to look back at the lamb. That's the climax. That's the important part. The wedding feast that we are blessed to be invited to, that's where our focus should be. The people of our world so desperately need to hear this. They're actually heading for the anticlimax and not even aware. They're heading for destruction and it's not going to be a fight. They've got no chance. It's already done. They're so deceived by the false prophet that they worship what they see in front of them. And so for us, we need to be ready too, don't we? We need to be ready to be called out. We do live in a very wealthy society. What if Jesus comes back? Are you ready to be called out? To leave behind whatever you've built up in this life and come to the wedding feast of wedding feasts where the Lamb is glorified as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, how do we live? Are we living as those waiting to be called out of the city? Are we living as servants despite the affluence around us? Are we those who are looking forward to the wedding feast? Those who will be with the one who will have the victory? Is Jesus our King, our Lord? Are we living and breathing the words of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, remembering always what he has done for us through his death and resurrection. This is the resurrection victory we need to believe in and to live out. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the victory that he has achieved through his death and resurrection. Father, please help us not to get caught in the traps of the world to be deceived, but to be ready to be called out and go to the great feast to be with the Lamb forever. Father, you've painted a wonderful, amazing picture for us today.
please help us to be people who live in light of the resurrection victory. In Jesus' name, Amen.